Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. Today's discussion will be covering cardiomyopathies. Cardiomyopathy is a collection of diseases that affect the myocardium, resulting in cardiac dysfunction and potential progression to heart failure. If you're not familiar with the concept of heart failure, go back and listen to our previous talk on this topic. There are several different types of cardiomyopathies, including dilated cardiomyopathy, where you get dilation and decreased contractility of one or both ventricles, resulting in systolic impairment. There's also hypertrophic cardiac myopathy, where you get increased ventricular thickness, which results in impairment of cardiac feeling during diastole and hence diastolic dysfunction. The hypertrophied septum can protrude into the ventricle, causing obstruction to blood flow, and this is known as hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. There's also restricted cardiomyopathy, which is where you have stiff ventricles with decreased ventricular compliance and so reduced ventricular filling and hence diastolic dysfunction. In terms of other causes and other types of cardiomyopathies to be aware of, there are drug-induced cardiomyopathies, such as those associated with the use of chemotherapy agents, including bleomycin or cocaine use. There is erythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia, which you get fibrofatty infiltrations of right ventricle, resulting in ventricular dysfunction. There's giant cell myocarditis, which is where you have multinucleated giant cell infiltration of the myocardium and biventricular enlargement. And there's Takotsubu, which is a stress-induced cardiomyopathy where intense emotional disturbance results in left ventricular dysfunction. And finally, there's tachycardiac-mediated cardiomyopathy, where you get chronic tachycardia resulting in myocardial dysfunction. So in terms of the pathogenesis, for general pathophysiology, refer to our previous talk on heart failure, but ultimately, it's where the heart doesn't meet the body's circulatory requirements. Now, in terms of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, as I've alluded to, you get hypertrophy of the myocardium, and that significantly affects the intraventricular septum compared to free left ventricle wall. The intraventricular septum hypertrophy results in increased blood flow obstruction through the left ventricular space, and hence the obstruction decreases cardiac output. Thinking about dilated cardiomyopathy, Idiopathic is the most common cause. It can be accounted for 25% to 35% of cases, and it's also associated with previous cases of myocarditis. The most common identifiable causes include alcohol, which is a direct toxin to the myocardium, and drugs such as doxorubicin, which is a chemotherapy, and cocaine, as I've alluded to already. In addition to drugs, radiation therapy can be another cause, for example, in patients who have had radiation therapy to their lung for lung cancer. Pregnancy is another known cause, and it's often seen in the last trimester and up to six months postpartum. There are autoimmune causes, such as those seen in SLE, dermatomyositis, and scleroderma, and there are also endocrine and metabolic causes, such as those seen in acromegaly, hypothyroid myxedema, and uremias. Now, going back to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, there is the sporadic form, which is more common in the elderly, and there is the familial form, which accounts for the majority, 60-70% of cases. It's an autosomal dominant trait, commonly seen in young patients, and is associated with an abnormality on chromosome 11 of the genes. And it results in dysfunction in contractile protein, resulting in myocyte hypertrophy, fibrosis, and abnormal architecture. And this abnormal architecture can then result in abnormalities in the conduction system of the heart, which can result in fatal arrhythmias. Looking at restrictive cardiomyopathy, there are the infiltrative disorders, such as sarcoidosis, and amyloidosis, and there are non-infiltrative disorders brought about by scleroderma and idiopathic myocardial fibrosis. Metabolic disease can also result in restrictive cardiomyopathy. These specifically refer to hemochromatosis, for example, and glycogen storage abnormalities. And finally, there are endomyocardial disorders such as endomyocardial fibrosis, lofus endocarditis, and eosinophilic endomyocardial disease. 
And again, cardiac irradiation can also cause restrictive cardiomyopathy. Now, in terms of signs and symptoms, patients can be asymptomatic or present with signs and symptoms of heart failure. For example, they can present with pulmonary edema and shortness of breath, rust-colored sputum, which is brought about by blood entering the alveolar space due to high pulmonary pressure associated with a high left ventricular pressure. They can present with syncope due to reduced cardiac output and sudden death and arrhythmia can also occur. They can have auscultatory findings, including a harsh systolic murmur in the case of obstructive cardiomyopathy, an S4 gallop and an S3 sound as well. They can present with raised JBPs as well as Kussmaul sign, particularly in restricted cardiomyopathy. They can present with hepatomegaly and subsequent hepatic dysfunction due to right-sided heart dysfunction, which leads to fluid buildup in the periphery. And this can also be associated with peripheral edema and cyanosis. In terms of diagnosis, we need to consider some other potential differential diagnosis. But importantly, we need to be able to differentiate between the various types of cardiomyopathy and their underlying causes. We need to consider arrhythmias as possible precipitants of heart failure, as well as cardiac neoplasms such as myxoma causing obstruction to heart flow. There are also non-cardiac causes that we need to think about, including respiratory pathologies that may explain some of the symptoms like shortness of breath. Things like asthma and other obstructive airway diseases, including restrictive airway diseases and pulmonary hypertension and pneumonia, may be considered in our differential diagnosis. There can be renal causes such as glomerulonephritis and chronic renal disease, which may itself lead to a fluid overload state. And finally, let's not forget hematological causes, such as microcytic anemia, which can contribute to a hypoxic picture. To differentiate between our various diagnoses, we must perform some investigations. Let's start with the easy investigations first. Let's perform a blood analysis looking at electrolytes to see how the renal function and electrolyte status is going. Let's perform a full blood count to look at anemia, which can worsen the ischemic picture. Let's look at liver function tests to monitor for signs of liver dysfunction that may be a consequence of right-sided heart failure or very severe heart failure. We can also look at a blood marker called BMP, which is useful for differentiating shortness of breath caused by heart failure versus pulmonary causes. We can also perform troponin levels to look at patients who are presenting with chest pain, and that's specifically to rule out a myocardial infarction. Other blood investigations can also be performed in specific circumstances. For example, if we're worried about autoimmune causes, then we can perform and look at autoimmune markers of SLE. Looking at other investigations, we can perform an ECG to rule out a myocardial infarction and arrhythmias as potential underlying causes. And when we look at hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, there are some ECG abnormalities that may be pre present specifically as it relates to ST and T waves seen on the ECG. There can be high voltage see, uh, changes seen on the pericardial leads. Q waves may also be present. And this holds true for restrictive cardio cardiomyopathy as well, where you can see a low QRS voltage, which may be as a consequence of all the infiltration dampening of the signaling of the conduction of the heart. Other investigations that may be warranted include exercise tolerance testing, genetic studies for hyper, hypertrophic cardiac disease, as well as cardiac biopsy. There's less invasive options for investigations with the use of imaging, and this includes an x-ray, obviously, looking for possibilities to differentiate cardiac versus pulmonary causes. And for example, findings of pleural effusion, cardiomegaly, curly beelines may be pointing to a cardiac cause as opposed to a respiratory cause. An echocardiogram is really vital for this diagnostic workup, and it can show us asymmetric septal hypertrophy versus dilated ventricles. We can look at restricted ventricular filling. We can estimate ejection fraction to quantify how bad the heart failure is. And also we can get an overall picture of how the heart is going. Once we've made the diagnosis, let's talk about some treatment options. 
The principles of treatments that I'm going to be talking about share similarities to my previous talk on heart failure. There are non-pharmacological management considerations, including exercise training in certain cases, particularly when patients with stable chronic heart failure. Cardiomyopathy management requires addressing the underlying cause though. And let's start with dilated cardiomyopathy. It's similar overall in terms of how we manage it in comparison to conventional heart failure. We can use ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers as our second line options. We can use beta blockers, diuretics, such as furosemide and spironolactone, as well as digoxin. We can also look at implantable devices, particularly in patients with widened QRS intervals of greater than 120 milliseconds. In terms of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, the management is a little bit different. So in asymptomatic patients with genetic mutations but no phenotypic characteristics, we can consider pharmacotherapy, for example, the use of beta blockers as first-line agents. Beta blockers slow the heart down in these situations and enable improved cardiac feeling, and so you're mitigating some of the diastolic dysfunction and also the obstruction that may be at play. Some patients are advised to avoid highly vigorous exercise because of the risk for sudden cardiac death as well as syncope, although this remains a controversial point. In patients with overt heart failure, pharmacotherapy, as I mentioned with the use of beta blockers or verapamil, may help alleviate some of that diastolic dysfunction. The role of ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers remains unclear. Those with outflow obstruction should avoid the use of digoxin, vasodilators, and diuretics to ensure adequate blood volume is returning and filling the ventricles. Aggressive management of arrhythmia should also be adopted to maintain sinus rhythm. And this can be achieved with the use of device therapies, particularly for patients with an ejection fraction less than 35% or those at risk of sudden cardiac death. Surgical options can also be considered, including heart transplantation. Patients with obstruction and preserved systolic function with refractory symptoms may be considered for septomyectomy as well as alcohol ablation. Now, looking at restrictive cardiomyopathy management, we have to treat the underlying cause, but also we can use symptomatic control management options, including the use of beta blockers, rapamil, dutilizem, which may improve diastolic function. Close monitoring of cardiac output may be considered as diastolic filling can remain restricted despite these therapies, and bradycardia can also worsen cardiac output. Diuresis may be considered in patients with congestive symptoms, although excessive diuresis may worsen symptoms by decreasing cardiac feeling pressure and volume depletion. Patients with conduction abnormalities should be considered for pacemaker therapy, including those with heart block. Now this brings our presentation to an end. I hope you found it useful. Please show your support by visiting us on our website, liking us on Facebook, subscribing to our YouTube channel, as well as commenting and rating us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer Gautam and our co-editor Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.